Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Uncensored CMO. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be catching up with the CMO of Mercado Libra. Now, if you've not heard of them, they are an over $10 billion organization. They're the biggest e-commerce business in Latin America, and they compete head-on with Amazon. It's an extraordinary story, and their CMO, Sean, has been on that uh, journey for the last 13 years and has seen them through incredible change. I want to catch up with Sean to find out what makes a great CMO at the head of an organisation, you know, reinventing themselves so much and growing at the rate they are. Sean is a lovely, honest guy with plenty of uncensored views and lots of experience to share about what makes a great marketer. I know you're going to love this episode. It's my conversation with Sean Summers. Welcome to Sean Summers on the Uncensored CMO podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. Now, we're here recording this uh, live from Cannes, which is, which is nice. And what brings you to Cannes in the first place? I would say a couple of things. Uh, as a CMO of a company, this is a great place, you know, once a year to interact with a lot of people in the industry and get a little bit, I don't know if it's uh, inspiration, but get a feel of what's happening outside of my world, both in Latin America and in general, you know, e-commerce and fintech. And then with my, you know, I, I'm also in charge of the our advertising business, which is growing a lot. And so, you know, we have a lot of meetings with the clients and prospective clients. So it's an interesting mix, you know, so it's going to be a very busy week. Very busy indeed. Yeah. I, I, you're so right. I, I think the power of this place actually is in the people you meet, isn't it? And the conversations that happen and the opportunities that and, come And the, the random encounters, you know, on the way here. Totally. <laughs> I was bumping into people that I worked 10 or 15 years ago in the UK. So. Yeah. In fact, we're doing, we're doing things this year that happened late at night last year. <laughs> you know, that's all like, wouldn't it be good if, and it's like happening a year later, you oh, absolutely, here, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, up for any awards this year? Uh, so far, you know, we've won a, a gold yesterday, last evening. I missed the ceremony. Oh, because, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I misunderstood <laughs> the logistics, but, you know, the, the, the team was there, you know, to receive the uh, the gold, and then uh, I've heard you know a couple of silvers and a few bronzes. So it's it's been uh, an award uh, award also. Oh, very good! Uh, well, congratulations! Yeah, so exciting times. Yeah, and what creates a good award winning campaign in your eyes? I think a uh, couple of things. First, for me, um, on campaigns and in general in marketing, it's all about you know what are the business results that we generate. We exist basically to deliver uh, business results, and I think that you have to be bold. You know, in a we operate in, um, in categories and in a world of sameness and probably you're not going to find a lot of standout by doing a lot of the normal or more traditional or safe kind of marketing. So I think that the, what the campaigns have in common is that they are con- you know, not that intuitive, uh, they are bold. Uh, some people in the, on the business, you know, they complain, you know, why are we doing this? Whenever they complain, I think that we are on the right track. Yes, that's a good KPI. Has it had enough complaints from the people that need to, you know, should complain? I love that. It's really good. And how do you, uh, how do you get good creative work? Let's say out of your agency partners, and uh, you know, how does that? How do you inspire them to do great work? Look, look, keep the briefs as simple as possible. It's trying not to complicate. You know, give the agency the ability to challenge your brief. I would say, you know, uh, GAT won the account many years ago and they started with, they challenged our brief. They said, the insight is wrong. <laughs> Sorry, if you wanted me to participate in the pitch, you, you have to allow me to tell you the brief is wrong. I said, look, I like, you know, the boldness of your statement. Come, you know, and, and pitch with that, that idea. So I think that creating, even from the beginning, and we didn't know each other. So yeah. it was about, look, this company is all about you know, creating different points of view and listening to everyone. 
So I think that that's super important. Try to keep simple the process, not a lot of back and forth and, uh, and not a lot of, uh, of people involved. If I'm honest, I'm involved in many, in very little, very little campaigns. Yeah. And that's on purpose. I think I won, you know, growing up in the marketing uh, world, one of the frustrating things was lack of independence to develop uh, stuff. And at a senior level, if you're a director, you're a vice president, you should have the freedom, you know, to work with the agency and uh, just get shit done. And if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world, you know, and you learn. And so uh, I'm involved in only very few campaigns per year. And in general, probably has to do those campaigns that are less intuitive, you know, that are not about moving the volume, you know, the sort of the retail the promotional campaigns, not the functional campaigns, more the crazy that, you know, you need to explain and you need to give a little bit of air cover inside the business to explain. It's, I think, and a lot of trust in, in the agency, even uh, on uh, on bad times, just being able to be very transparent, you know, this is what I work, what I like, what doesn't like, what, what I don't like, and then being able to sell, you know. And sometimes we get into, like, you know, ye- you know yelling at e- each other, but it's good. Yeah, that's really good. It, actually, I, I won a couple of lines in 2017 uh, working on LucasAid. Uh, it's exactly as you say, actually. I remember um, the, the agency pushed back and they had a big idea. It's the only time I think I've ever said, I don't need to approve this. Like the, the, the first time I'll see it is when it's done because I was that confident in their recommendation. And again, same thing, small team, actually quite a small budget as well. But they had freedom to go away and make exactly what they believed was going to work. I and see, it delivered. I see most of the campaigns at the same time that consumers yeah. do. And I really like it. Yeah. And my boss, the CEO of the company, sees them five minutes before they go on air. And it's part of the, the, the dynamic. There's a trust. And again, if it doesn't work out, we're going to learn from it. And, you know, we, we, for the next time, there's always, you know, a next time and a, an opportunity to improve it. I think that's right. It's when you get to a relationship, isn't it, with a creative agency, we have that trust. And, you, you, you know, you're aligned on the insight, you know, you're aligned on the strategy, and then you can just back them to go and make great work. No, I totally agree. That's great. Um, it's interesting that you're saying, um, you know, you, you see it when it goes on air. And I, I've been in that situation. Some people are quite surprised at what the CMO actually does. You know, I, I guess people have this, imp- I, I, having this conversation in Cannes is quite ironic, isn't it? You know, but people's perception is you spend our time, you know, you know, with, with agencies out, you know, drinking and all that kind of thing. But talk to me about what a CMO role is actually like. So in, in my case, I'm very proud to say I make probably one, two percent of all the marketing decisions in my company. And I think that, you know, I'm not stealing my company. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm doing my, my job. Yeah, yeah, no, but, you know, I, I'm doing my, my, my job. So I think that my job is, be, you know, building the right team. So I come back, I work with really smart people uh, and they tolerate me. And I, but, you know, I think that they like that freedom of, you know, going back and forth with ideas. I like to be a sounding board to my team on, on a diverse set of, uh, of topics and then giving them the freedom. So once we agree on the strategy, and, you know, what are the key initiatives? I trust that, you know, you're going to go and do it and that you are going to come back when you have doubts or when I can be of, of assistance. Second piece is creating the conditions for that team to operate. So I do a lot of, you know, that work of, you know, behind the scenes when someone in the business side or, you know, someone doesn't agree or when things even inside of, of, of the marketing team get a little bit stuck because, you know, you know matrix organizations always present challenges. My role is to, you know, to help, you know, how do you navigate and how do we avoid it, you know, in the future? Then it's a lot about challenging, you know, it's challenging the delivery of results. Um, I always measure my team. We all only talk business language. I've always, 
you know, it's banned. You know, talking about brand KPIs, brand KPIs are super important. They are tools for us. That's not language that we use on the outside world. Not with the business. Interesting. Interestingly, now I have business leaders who talk very excitedly about you know the brand power KPI. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. But but I think that it comes from the trust that we only talk and we measure ourselves by the business impact, and everything else is an input metric to deliver those results. So challenging on the delivery of the results, the accountability, both short and long term. And then I'm curious, and it's pushing the boundaries. On, on every single discipline that we do, you know, my mantra is whatever worked this year, next year is not going to work. The next 12 or 18 months is not going to work. So we need to reinvent everything that is working for us, be it, you know, performance marketing, bottom of the funnel, stuff, you know, top of the funnel. Everything has to be reinvented. It's our way of... Uh, trying to be one step ahead of a competition. Yeah. So I would say I do that. And then there are you know, topics that I find interesting. I'm not a technology guy, but I'm fascinated by everything that has to do with you know, data science. I understand probably 5% of what my data scientists tell me, but it's fascinating. So I try to, from an abstract, you know, high level point of view, ask the, hopefully the right questions and just, you know, back and forth and trying to understand how they're trying to solve it. So I, I get involved a lot on that. I get involved, you know, a little bit on on, on branding, a lot on, on business. And, and nowadays, over the last couple of years, I've been focused much more on the business side, you know, building the advertising, our Mercado Ads advertising platform, which is, you know, growing like a lot. You know, it's the biggest retail media platform in, in Latin America. And also a combination with building a startup of uh, content distribution inside Mercado Libre, which has been another pet project. Yeah, that's that, fascinating. Uh, only Mercado Libre allows you, you know, to, to do these kind of things. I, lo I love what you're saying there as well about not using kind of marketing language outside of marketing. It's so true, isn't it? Because I think um, something I, I, I advise my marketing teams as well is to say, start with the business problem. What are you trying to achieve? And then answer it in language that finance people will understand. And it's amazing how suddenly it goes, it opens doors and everyone goes, oh, that's and, what and you're you doing. And you gain credibility you know? because if not, you know, yeah. with marketing, we, over the years we have developed so much jargon. And, and every function has jargon. But, you know, when you talk to the outside world, you have to understand it doesn't make you more sophisticated. People think that, you know, we're talking yeah. bullshit. Yeah. And, and so you, you lose credibility. And, and, and the one thing, the other thing that I spend a lot of time is helping the team challenge what are we not going to do? Because in this world, there's a, there's a premium on activity. And I hate, you know, people running on you know, like busy fools. It's like, let's have the conviction and the guts. You know, let's come up with 10 ideas, 20 ideas, but let's have the conviction and the guts to say, these are the three that we think are going to have there. And in, in business in general, everyone wants to take the safe route of, yeah, let's throw 20 things against the wall and see what sticks doesn't work out. It's so true. Pe people assume that you grow by doing more, but when you do more, you do less because all those extra things, you can't execute them to the same standard. You've got the same resource and they get diluted and then you don't launch them properly and then you're just like busier and busier and busier, less and less effective. I'm going to earn a lot of enemies you know, in the industry. I realized recently one of the worst things that we invented is the 360 campaign. Yes, yes. Shit, the three I realized only a few weeks ago, yeah. you know, it's like, that's the worst thing because it works only on PowerPoint. Have yes. you ever seen yeah, yeah. <laughs> a 360 campaign? Yeah. Look, in reality, consumers, you know, we think about our brands, yeah. you know, 24-7. Consumers spend one second per week thinking about your brand, if you're lucky, okay? 
So it's not about trying to bombard them with a lot of things. It's like one or two messages, you know, in, in the most effective uh, uh, sort of uh, mediums, that's going to do the magic. And if you spend all the time and all the energy and all the money on making that thing work, I think that you can be much more successful. You know, it's funny. It reminds me of, I wrote this little article about what happens when you have no money, right? Because I, I was working on a, a Lipton iced tea. Did you have Lipton iced tea in Latin America? Uh, in some places. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the same thing, right? Because it was, uh, I, I, Unilever had the brand. I was working at Britvic and I, I took it over and we had very little money. I mean, maybe quarter of a million pound budget, something like that, right? So, you know, something, but, you know, in soft drinks, you know, most competitors had five or 10 million, right? So, you know, relatively small and i remember um the thing with iced tea in the uk is that uh, Brit the british well you'll know this we market director twinings like in the uk people like their tea hot right and the association with tea is as a hot drink trying to get british people to have cold tea it's just like what are you doing you know and anyway this is a challenge and uh, I met my counterparts at Unilever and they handed me this really big file over, you know, th th with, the, with the 360 campaign, right? The 360 campaign was, the idea was genius, right? The idea was don't knock it till you try it. Because basically what it showed is, is that people, you know, 60 or 70% of people do reject the idea when they try it. 60 or 70 people love the idea, right? But you know what they did? They did an integrated 360 degree campaign. Do you know what it didn't have? Any sampling. So they, it's like, it was like doing everything, right? I was like, but aren't they going to try it? No, 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 no. This is a 360 integrated campaign. And, and anyway, the point I was writing in the article is focus on the business problem, put all your resources behind doing the thing that's going to change the behavior. And, and I've you know? done more than my fair share of 360 campaigns. So, you know, guilty as charged is I'm trying to learn from my mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like 360, you know. If we could kill that, I think that, you know... Well, that's we going... We would help. 101, right? Yeah. We're putting that in the bin. So the first thing we're going to kill is, is... We might go on to AR. We'll put that in the bin next uh, right? Okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep that for later. We're talking of failures. I, I, one of the questions I love to ask people is, what's been the biggest failure in your career? We often talk about successes, don't we? But sometimes you learn more from the big challenges of big failures. What would you, uh, what would you pick for uh, Quite a few. Uh, let me pick two or three. First one, I I had a career in PepsiCo, started in Argentina, my home country, you know, and, and I always say that I worked in PepsiCo for 14 years. But actually, I came and go twice. So I worked 1996 to, uh, to 99. I lived to uh, the company to do a startup, you know, first uh, stage of uh, internet. I raised money, you know, launched uh, in Argentina a business-to-business -business, uh, marketplace, you know, in the grocery industry. And we scaled it and, you know, we launched it and we operated and, and we failed. And I failed. So I was wrong. Yes, the market conditions didn't help and the stock market, you know, disappeared and everything. Yeah. But strategy-wise, I didn't have the right strategy. I didn't have the knowledge. Forget about the conviction. The knowledge of what it meant to pivot. I should have pivoted the business model. I didn't have the clarity. And, uh, and probably I didn't have the guts to tell my board, look, I think that the strategy as it is is not going to work. But the, the, so that was on me. Yeah, yeah the, the market conditions didn't work out, but you know, definitely I didn't have the clarity on how to pivot a strategy where we were sort of delivering what we promised, but not at the pace of growth that we needed. And, and I had to do something different. I, I didn't know how to do it. Fast forward to the UK. I get to the UK and, and we should talk about you know, my arrival to the UK in 2007 after my MBA. I inherited the launch of uh, Sunbites. Fantastic product, but you know, I, 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 some of the things on the, on, on, on the inside and the way that you know we had planned to launch it didn't work out. So I had to very quickly 
turnaround, a, a failed launch, okay? And it was on me. And I didn't have the clarity of how to fix it. You know, we went, oh, we need to do a campaign because if not, you know, we, uh, retailers are going to delist it. You know, this was like three months into the launch, okay? Yeah. And I said, and it's, shit, you know, we don't have a good brief and I don't know what's the right insight. And, you know, there was a lot of change, you know, going on the company. I ended up doing a shitty campaign. Like, you know, you're talking about, you know, the worst campaign, Sunbites, Sunbites launch campaign, shitty ad. I always remember, you know, one of my colleagues, you know, I, I work with really, really great people in, in the UK who were super supportive. And Carol Garbutt, you know, she was the uh, marketing director for Quaker. I asked, uh, look, Carol, you know, look at this offline. You know, I know that it's not that great, but, you know, can you give me an opinion? And she's trying to be so polite. And Sean, well, do you have this? Or maybe we could, you could change this. But I could see in her eyes, like, mate, this is a piece of shit. And you're screwed. <laughs> I could, she was trying to be empathetic with yeah. me. But, so it didn't work out. Uh, unfortunately, look, yeah, through the power of distribution, the product was sort of okay. And eventually... You know, I, I think it was okay. It was never a great launch, but even though I inherited the launch, I had no idea how to turn it around, you know, on time. Fortunately, it didn't derail my, 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 my career in, in PepsiCo. It didn't hold you back. That's good. It didn't hold, it hold <laughs> me back, which speaks, you know, quite well, you know, from, from the rest of the company. But my performance there, I, you know, after two years in the NBA, I was a little bit, you know, rusty on, on some of the, of the basics. And then fast forward to Mercado Libre, you know, um, when I was running the marketplace business, very early on, we saw the opportunity to develop the, the cross-border trade sort of platform to complement the local supply. And, uh, you know, we did a small acquihire. I, I think, you know, we were doing a lot of stuff in parallel. And I was trying to manage, you know, a team that was remote with a technology that was operating outside the platform. It didn't make any sense. And, you know, for two or three years, we, and this is a company with a lot of resilience, we tried to figure it out and it didn't work out. Unfortunately, someone, you know, smarter than me came and they found the, you know, the way forward. And now we had, that's a multi-billion dollar business. So fortunately, someone builds on, on your mistakes. Yes. <laughs> and I, I've always been quite transparent about the mistakes because yeah. you know, that, those are the three that come. And if you give me you know, another 10 minutes, I can come up with another 10. <laughs> this is great. What's interesting about those is, um, you know that you know that situation where you're creating a new ad and you're not quite sure it's right. And then the agency come back and go, we'll fix it in post. And they always go, in post-production, we'll fix it. I think that's what happens so often in our careers is that you actually know it's not going to work, like you did with the um, bites thing, right? Often our instinct tells us really early on, we just know, like you said, you're, you're, you're a colleague, Carol, there. And I think there's a skill in calling it early and honestly, you know, because I've been in those situations where you kind of think, oh, we'll fix it in post equivalent of like when the campaign, the campaign will sort it, and you know it's not going to. And it's the bravery, I think, to go, do you know what? I know this is going to cost us money. I know it's going to be embarrassing. I know I'm, you know, I'm going to look bad. But we have this inbuilt human nature, don't we, where we, we'd rather not admit it, you know, and carry on uh, going, even though we know it's not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, now I'm a different uh, person that was almost 15 years ago. And, I, I, you know, over the last 11 years, if, if I face that situation today, it would be much easier yeah. for me to say exactly that. Probably I wouldn't even go into a developing a campaign. Look, guys, until we don't have... yeah something that looks like a serious uh, brief, let's not even waste the time, you know, the agency's yeah. time. Yeah. So, yeah, we learn from our mistakes. Yeah. What can I say? And I think the other, the, other, the other advice in that situation as well is, is to own the problem as well. Because, uh, you know, owning the problem yourself. And that was my problem. And I think, and I think that one, one of the reasons why I survived, you know, 
Yeah, and eventually they gave me you know more responsibilities because at all stages I recognized you know I wasn't I wasn't a victim of anything. If anything, I was a victim of my own inability. Okay, and I was transparent about it. And and the other and the other thing during that time, which you know I'm, I'm going on a separate note, but that was a tough time for me getting into the UK, coming you know. It's like, you know, the Latin American player has done very well in the Mexican and Argentinian league and I'm coming from my NBA in Stanford and you know, I'm feeling confident, you know, and I, but then you get to to the UK and the UK in the marketing, from a marketing point, point of view, it's the, it's the Premier League. And, you know, just getting adjusted there for the first year, it was tough. I very quickly realized, look, from a leadership point of view, I'm up for, you know, for the challenge. From a functional point of view, I don't have the tooling. I looked at my team, my team were much smarter and much better prepared than I, than I was. My peer group was brilliant, but instead of, you know, and, and for 18 months, I sort of struggled, you know, under the water. But the way that I came out of that was I really relied on my team. They were great. And instead of seeing it as a threat, I saw it as a big opportunity. And I really relied on, on my peer group. And I, th I think that that's something that we don't do often. And, and here, when I arrived, you know, I, I always remember this. I get into the workers' uh, office in Thiel. And as I'm getting to the marketing side, a big guy comes and tells me, hello, my Argentinian friend. You know, I'm Tony Mata, you know, I'm, you know, the Greek, Canadian, and I know what you're feeling. You need a hug. Oh, so, really? That's amazing. You know, with with yeah. his uh, Greek uh, sort of uh, uh, ancestry, he said, you know, at this moment, you're coming to a foreign country, I'm going to give you a hug. And then, you know, Clive Jones, who was also there, you know, they, they were fantastic, you know, settling in and, and, and John Goldstone. And then everyone left, you know, in the following four to six months, everyone left. So I left. I, oh, my God, shit. But the people that came in, so Greg Lyons, you know, a great American guy nowadays in Pepsi, and Thomas Delarier and Tim Warner. You know what? They were brilliant marketeers, much better than that. And I relied on them and they were super supportive. And, you know, you have to be a little bit more vulnerable and be OK. And, and Carol, you know, helped me out at, at the time. And they, everyone is willing to help you. I think that's another good learning, isn't it? Like, generally, it, my experience has been everyone is happy to help. And it, you're much better off asking for help than kind of making it up as you go along. And then you, it's worse to kind of make it up and fail, isn't it, than to ask, go, you know, I don't know this. I'm going to ask for some help. And then you get, get that buy-in and that support, don't you? Exactly. And people want, because people in general, they want you to see you succeed. You know, this is not a competition. But it was, it was that phase, you know, sort of, of, of my career made me much stronger because it reinforced that, look, I'm a fighter. And even though I felt out of my depth, you know, from a functional point of view, I said, look, I, by the same token, look, there, I'm going to rely on this support network that is there. And I really believe, you know, in some of my strengths, you know, and, uh, I got through it, you know. <laughs> it was a miracle, but I got through it. Now, so you, you worked at PepsiCo. You also worked at Twinings, which is where we first met. And then you went to, uh, back to Latin America, didn't you? Back to, uh, back to Brazil, was it? Uh, no, I, 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 I decided to relocate to Uruguay, yeah. but the company's headquartered in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yes, yeah. And just for people listening that uh, aren't from Latin America, describe Mercado Libra, because it is an astonishing business. And, and, and yeah, just, just give, give listeners the it, insight into, it, it, into it's, the It's an incredible business. I, I joined, so it's, uh, it was founded 24 years ago as an e-commerce company, marketplace very similar you know, to eBay. Actually, eBay was a shareholder for many years between 2001 and 2016. But it evolved really, really quickly over the last 20 years, maybe not quickly, because it became the largest e-commerce and fintech player in Latin America. 
So the, the, the e-commerce business evolved dramatically from consumer to C2C used products to new products sold by you know, t uh, thousands of, no, hundreds of thousands of small, medium, and, and large enterprises, you know, brands and everything with our own logistics. And the payments business, which was created in 2003 to, you know, help us, you know, uh, get, you know, settle our transactions, eventually grew into a fully fledged uh, fintech company. So we do online payments, offline payments, uh, consumer credits, merchant credits, insured tech, uh, asset management, uh, you name it. So, that, uh, it has become a, a super successful uh, company. We IPO'd in uh, NASDAQ in 2007, before my time, and, and we've grown exponentially over the last, particularly over the last, uh, yeah, 10 years. When and, I joined, and, and it was- today, a, turnover is what, 10, uh, 10 billion? 10 billion. It was yeah. 300 million turnover when I joined in 2012. It was 10.5 billion last year, and with very healthy growth rates. And accelerated through COVID, I think, as well, through the pandemic. Uh, we doubled our business during the pandemic, and we are one of the few companies in the world, I think, that was able to keep growing after that. So we retain all the gains from the pandemic, and we've been growing very, very you know, high double digit uh, for the last two years. And, and the ambition is, you know, we still think that the opportunity in Latin America, both in, in e-commerce and fintech, is huge. And to put it into context, your, your main competitor is Amazon, right? We compete with Amazon in Mexico since 2015 in Brazil uh, since uh, 2018, and they are a formidable uh, competitor. It's the best, you know, the arrival of Amazon, we always say, it was a blessing in disguise. It forced us to really change absolutely everything of how we thought, how we operated, how we executed. Competing with them has, you know, made us much better professionals. And, and you know, fortunately, you know, even today, you know, we, we're still ahead. But every single day, you have to, you know, get out of bed and, and be ready to compete. That's amazing. So take us back to the beginning. What were the what were the challenges? That, well, it's a scale up, I guess, at three hundred million, right? You're going from a startup phase and scale. What are the kind of challenges for your business at that stage? In general, you know, scaling up, but it all comes down to the consumer experience. So I think when I joined the company, we were growing nicely. Okay, that three hundred million was like fifty percent growth on on the previous year. But for us to become a real player in e-commerce and then in fintech, we really had to improve massively our overall consumer experience. And that meant some very tough decisions before my time, which for me were you know, incredible. In uh, 2000, around 2009, 2010, already as a public company, we realized that our platform doesn't scale. It was built with the previous technology and and we took the, well, Marcos, you know, and the team, you know, our founder and the, and the team took the, the bold decision to say, look, we need to, we're going to stop innovating for two years and that's tough. And we're going to re rewrite every single line of code to make our, you know, uh, in a new API world to make our platform scalable. Wow. And so for you, two you years, stood, stood still for two stood, years yeah, to move forward. We rewrote everything and we were competing with people, but I, I, yeah. we had to deliver our quarterly and our annual results. But we took, the, you know, we always take the tough and the, the long and the difficult sort of route and, and the right route. So by the time that uh, I join, we're coming out of that process and we need to start innovating. And we, you know, a, a, a lot of the uh, different parts of the experience, they weren't great. And we were very honest about it. You know, I remember I asked Marcos during the interview process, Marcos, uh, I see that, you know, the company is growing nicely, but, you know, the sales and marketing budget has been fixed, you know, for the last few years. 
do you really believe in investing in, in marketing? I said, look, Sean, I guess I, yeah, I'm a technology person. I believe, you know, in, in the power of the product. But yeah, I guess that I believe in marketing. But given that the experience is far from optimal, I don't want to spend more money to get people to get a shitty experience or a sub up. I'd rather work and improve it. And, and the experience is never perfect. But at some point, I say, look, it's good enough. I can see that my retention rates are improving to a point where, okay, now let's go and spend some money. Because if not, your retention rates are so low that it doesn't make any economic sense to yeah. keep investing money on, on marketing. People, you know, the churn is yeah. infinite. That's pretty smart, isn't it? I mean, the, the product experience has to be where you start, right? Yeah. You know, and then, then you build build from there. You, you were talking earlier as well about turning the funnel on its head as well, which I thought was quite a clever way of looking at it. And, you know, so many kind of technology uh, players particularly start with the experience, don't they, and kind of build from there. So what's your experience of kind of marketing uh, marketing the business? It, it was sort of an intuitive. Mo- so when I joined, I, I, I was running the e-commerce business. You know, for someone that wasn't coming from e-commerce, that was a massive yeah. challenge. Yeah. But they were super patient with me. And, you know, we had to improve a lot of things in product management and in sales and in marketing. But in marketing, I, I very quickly, it was a very pragmatic approach. I, I forgot about all the frameworks about, you know, you first build awareness and then consideration and then trial. And you know what? Look, we're spending $20 million, and this is the business and the aspiration is that we are going to keep growing 50% every year for the foreseeable future without more money. I need to gain scale. The only way, if I believe in Marcos, if I deliver on the marketing initiatives, he's going to be willing to invest more money. I need to deliver volume short term. Now, at the time, you know, we are a retailer. We had Google AdWords, Google Shopping. You know what? Yeah. We're going to buy transactions. I wasn't trying to build a brand I was shamelessly buying transactions. And knowing that I had to optimize them to be economically efficient in the first transaction. No lifetime value bullshit or anything like that because I knew that a lot of people wouldn't come back. So we started building and, 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 and we started improving our efficient, uh, efficiency of spend there. And after a few years, you know, the business keeps growing and we accelerate and we prove that marketing is accelerating growth. So Marcos opens the wallet and he said, well, I'm willing to invest, perfect. But it's like a pay as you go. Then the next stage is, okay, we're going to keep optimizing sort of, uh, you know, bottom of the funnel with Google and Meta with, and Facebook and everything, you know, for the foreseeable future. But we need to bring other people because there I am sort of fishing in a pond of people who are already looking for something. And I need to change behavior of people who are not considering buying online. So very basic. You know, let's go one step. Promote. We are a retailer. Promotions. We weren't playing in any promotion, you know, like, Everyday low price or the big, you know, Black Friday, nothing. Well, why, why don't we start building some capability? And our sellers weren't used to operating there. So how do we build a capability to do it? So over the years, we built a second layer. <laughs> Today, you know, we are a retailer. We have 52 weeks of some kind of promotional activity. And it plays its role. I build more volume and in a profitable way. The important thing is always profitable. You know, we can show that the payback is there. Perfect. And it was only, what, seriously? Five, six years ago that we started doing branding seriously. Historically, we've always done branding. But, you know, eight weeks of on air, that's not branding. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> that's an exercise, uh, a useless exercise. We started with, okay, minimum, we need 20 weeks on air with this kind of creative. Blah, blah. Nowadays, we are like almost like a 50-week. Uh, yeah. I love this. So many people don't understand this. That When you're in a, a rapidly growing business, you often have to earn the money to be able to spend it, right? You can't just, you know, you know, just just spend money building brand. You need to earn it first, you see. And so you have to do the short-term tactics and, you know, convert and sell and so on. And then that buys you the freedom to then 
build the brand later, right? And the other element, super important, all of those steps were done in uh, coordination with the improvements in the platform. Because the only way in which I could prove, you know, better ROIs was if our retention rates, if our conversion rates improved and then our retention rate. So it was all about measuring conversion rates and then, you know, month one, month two retention rates. So as we saw that the product was improving and our marketing was improving, we saw that, you know, things were working out. So the confidence came, okay, we keep investing because we're going to, we knew that we would keep, you know, improving the platform. And that, you know, in turn, you know, it would, deliver better retention rates. and, and So that was like the magic, back, uh, back the flywheel. Back to our language of financing, you, you were demonstrating ROI, which meant the business then saw it as an investment, not a cost. That's the other thing that happens, of course, marketing is seen as a cost, isn't it? Uh, it has to be limited, whereas if you can prove it's an investment to drive growth, suddenly you're on and the right path. And at some bathroom. point, when we got to the discussion of, you know, can you prove the value of branding, you know, it was more difficult. You have built enough credibility and trust, you know, you know, my conversation with my CFO are super logical. I've never had an argument with my CFO. First, because I consider myself to be almost like, you know, a deputy CFO in terms of, you know, when I was running the business, I never had, you know, I wasn't sandbagging. You know, we were, as a company, we don't sandbag on on on, uh, on our targets and, you know, on efficiency. So it, 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 it's natural. But then when we had to have the conversation, look, guys, this is going to be more of an intuitive or conceptual conversation. If we really need, want to bring people who are outside of e-commerce, we need to bring the, the build the brand in this way. And I promise that I'm gonna be, well, we're gonna be as a team as disciplined as we were doing that. Okay, great. And we did you know 20 weeks. And at the beginning, you know, we don't have the perfect measurement, but you know, we find the proxy KPIs that build some confidence. And always talking the language of the business. Always, you know, let's make sure that we don't fall in the trap about talking out because our brand awareness, our consideration, our brand power, super useful tools but not to talk with the CFO, you know? And, and eventually, look, you, you gain traction and people really, and, and nowadays, you know, I'm in a, in a business that I always joke that even today, they, you know, the company doesn't really believe in marketing, you know, because we are a technology company, but they put their money. You know, yeah, so they're always well, over a billion dollars a year, right? Something yeah, like yeah, that. And, yeah. and, you know, and, and, and it's like, you know, 50x, yeah. Increasing investments, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, so I, there you I, go. I, I think that if I don't believe that's fine, keep not believing it's fine. <laughs> and it's fine. It's a, it's a very yeah. healthy dynamic because it doesn't allow us as marketeers to you know get comfortable. Yeah. One of the fascinating things about your business as well is you know you started out I guess like an eBay right in terms of you know uh, selling selling and then um, fintech in terms of financing logistics presumably you've somehow got to get a lot of products out to people that that effectively it's like three or four different businesses isn't it and one that you've suddenly got your head around how do you you know how do you cope with so much you know manage all that change how do you implement that stay on top of it i mean that's incredibly complicated it, it, it's hard to explain you know. it's too soft you know, I've always been fascinated by the culture of this company. I, I, I felt it in the interviews, yeah. you know, they were crazy enough to give me the job. You know, yeah. I wasn't an obvious choice. And that tells you something about a company that, you know, you know, is willing to take some risks. And I think that the mentality has always been not, you know, celebrating what we have built, but focusing on what we can build. And looking at, it always starts from, you know, problems that we see, you know, consumer or seller uh, problems. And then thinking about, look, is there a different way to solve it? Can we solve it? So I'm, I'm many times it's a, con, a competitive d- d- dynamic. So let me give you two examples. One about looking outside and co- competitive d- dynamic. Until, you know, 2003, we said we will, we will never get involved in payments or delivery. It's, we just get, you know, uh, sellers and uh, consumers together. Then it's like, if you don't close that loop, 
It's not going to work. So 2003, we launched our online payments business to help settle the transactions. We still don't touch a package. When I joined at the you know, October 2012, we were launching our uh, shipping solution. And at the first time, you know, at the beginning, um, it was a drop shipping solution. We didn't know anything about logistics, but we realized that we need to also, you know, bring down that barrier. Yeah? Yeah. And we use our technology to integrate with existing carriers. Great. That takes us all the way to 2018. Now we are competing with Amazon. I say, is this, you know, set up good enough for us to beat them? Well, actually, no. We need to take one step forward. We need to get really involved in logistics, fulfillment centers, distribution centers, you know, transportation. Oh, shit, we don't know anything about this. So what do we do? We put the best people from business side, the best people from technology. We get a little bit of capability from the outside, and we just start, you know, the hard work, you know, People would say, no, because you should, you know, take a warehouse management system off the shelf or off the shelf transportation management system. And the, no, you know, the team, it wasn't me. The team said, no, actually, this is going to be a core capability. If we're trying to reduce, you know, shipping times and shipping costs, we have to have full control. Yeah. Software is our X factor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we did it. And, and, you know, that's only five years ago. And our best, be- and, and today we have probably the biggest and most efficient Logistics net network in Latin America. Yeah. A different example, you know, an opportunity from the inside, our credits business. Yeah. Okay? It's like looking at China, we see that, well, we've been an online payments business for what, you know, 14 years. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, looking at China, it's look, something called fintech. Yeah. You know, you already have the customer relationship. And again, look, we know a little bit about software. We, know, we don't know about fintech, but we know about software, we know something about online payments. We have consumers, let's understand what are the pain points that they have. And we identify you know, all the obvious pain points, okay? Our merchants, why are, aren't you growing? You know, small and medium enterprises that really started growing. I don't have working capital. A bank wouldn't give them, well, you're selling 80% of your business, you know, it's Mercado. I know you better than anyone. I should be giving you yeah, credit. So you're not getting out so, bank. So, yeah. we, so we launch a credit, credit business. I started with you know, that and then it's, okay, what kind of, you know, needs a, a individuals have and it was a similar process and knowing that it's going to take time and what's the right order of launching products and you know who did it uh, senior vice president of finance you know we were looking you know, thinking about you know we need to launch a credit business you know should we look at profits uh, outside and, and Martin you know said, look I would love to be an entrepreneur here so he left he very posh you know yeah, sort of yeah. you know right hand man of the CFO yeah. he said he took his best analyst and he started this business, yeah. two or three people, yeah. no, and you know, try to figure out. 2016, last year, we gave away, we, we gave yeah. away, now we, we gave $10 billion in credits. Short-term credits, yeah. but that's a business that didn't exist. And, yeah. and it was the power of starting with the first credit and the second, and, and we're going to talk later about AI. And it's yeah. all about, you know, being able to manage, yeah. you know, Tons of data and taking insights out. I love how you're seeing the consumer problem and then you're solving it and inventing a company off the back of it that in, uh, in, in areas you haven't got expertise in. It's amazing. But there's something about being uh, there's something about being ignorant that it's positive because you don't have with the you know being ignorant and confident in in, in your ability yeah. to use software to create better solutions. You know you you don't have some of the preconcepts that you know people have. So you you tackle. The problem in a different way. Fresh I ice. came across this idea of intelligent naivety, 
that, that actually is it, the, the best, the most successful entrepreneurs often are when they, you know, they're smart, but they're in a category they have no experience of because they, they haven't got the paradigms. They haven't got the, you this will never work it. because, you know, they, they come at it completely fresh. Yeah. And now, of course, the next evolution of your business is probably into a media owner, right? Because well, that's where it goes next, right? Well, it, it, that's what we are already are in the sense that our uh, Mercado Ads, our ad advertising platform, we created it in like 2007 and 2009. But for many, many years, it was like an afterthought, okay? And suddenly, obviously, we look at the competition and say, well, these guys are very smart, we respect them, and they're doing some interesting stuff. Yeah. So we say, why aren't we doing the same? So, well, let's put our best people. So, you know, we put our best people to think about, okay, and we start with the product. There's, there are no shortcuts. So, and, and uh, we started with solutions for our merchants. And we improved that, you know, search kind of product, you know, we call it product ads. And then we said, okay, that's great, but, you know, we should start developing other products. And we worked for two years to develop, you know, our, you know, demand side platform, our data management platform, our ad server. You know, it's a lot of hard work. And we relaunched early this year our display solution, which is super competitive. It's a really good product. And, and now we're launching, you know, next quarter, our video solution. So we're going to be able to learn, you know, we're going to be one of the few companies that really has a full funnel solution. Yeah. At the beginning, you know, it's not going to be optimal, you know, all the cross funnel, you know, measurements, it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. But, yeah, we have, you know, yeah. the first party uh, data of a hundred, more than 100 million customers who are transacting with us every quarter. And, you know, yeah. we, and presumably developing yeah, the products, you know. Because your, your customers can advertise and then they can fulfill that demand through selling, right, on the same platform. But, so yeah. you kind of, you but, know. but, you know, with the original product, the solution was just for people selling in, in Mercado Libre with, yeah. the, with the search. Now that we have sort of a top of the funnel, a mid-funnel with display and with video, actually, it's a media platform. You know, you can, you know, if you want, you don't have to sell in Mercado Libre. Yeah. And you can build your, because you, we measure the same way that you measure with other online uh, players which, you know, I'm clients yeah. of, so it's an Well, this is what's quite funny about this, yeah. because, you know, you, you, you've had a career as a brand builder, obviously trained in PepsiCo, you've been advertising and, and doing that. And now you're sort of on the other side of the fence as you're now a media owner, kind of. You know, what, what's, that, what's that like? And what, what, what have you learned as somebody who's built a media kind of business? Oh, we, we, we're, we're building that, but, you know, it's now in a high growth and, uh, and significant player. You know, it's, it's the biggest retail uh, media in Latin America and the, and the third largest, you know, after Google and, and Meta. So it's, it's, it's growing nicely. I, I would say the, the learning is first, in terms of how do you manage both, we're still a very important client for all of those guys and we are very strong partners. So, and I, you know, we keep investing a lot. Yeah. So we see it as compliment, complementary. I, I've learned a long time ago that this uh, industry in general technology knows the, the concept of being a frenemy. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, by the same token, look, many times over the years, Google, you know, through Google Shopping, tried to integrate forward. The yeah. same with Meta. And it's fine, you know, we never go to a fan. You know, it's fine that you go and try, you know, look, we're doing it backwards. Yeah. But still, I'm investing more than ever yeah. in, in all my sort of media partners. And at the same time, I'm trying to develop a different kind because I think that, you know, being, you know the, the, the value of first party data in, in this new world. And, and given that we are a retailer, so people who come to Mercado Libre or yeah. to Mercado Pago, yeah. they are here yeah. to transact, yes. okay? So I see it sort of highly but complementary. Do you, but do you advertise Mercado Libre on other platforms as yeah, well? Yeah, right? yeah. So, so you're, you're advertising I, your I, competitors' I, I'm platforms. A, I, I'm a, I don't consider them yeah. a, a competitor. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, 
it could be a little bit of an overstatement to put, yeah. you know, um, ourselves, you know, at the same level of, yeah. you know, the big guys, you know, Google, Meta, TikTok, you know, they are super big partners as, as an advertiser. Probably I'm one of the yeah. biggest, uh, we are one of the biggest partners and we're going to continue to invest. But at the same time, we see an opportunity, you know, as the world of advertising is moving into uh, online, I don't see it, you know, it's, a, it's not a zero uh, sum game. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, definitely. If you are in offline advertising, probably you're going to see it. But for online, I see it, you know, quite complementary. Well, this is the interesting thing with branding as well, because, we, you know, you know, take Amazon, uh, with the famous quote about, you know, uh, advertising is the tax for poor products. And now Amazon is the biggest advertiser in the world, isn't it? It's incredible. So, you know, the importance of when you have an online brand to also build it offline and, and you know, because that's how you're going to get people to... This, this whole concept, you know, I heard many times in the, in the world of technology. If you build it, they will come. If you build the right product, people will find it. I think at, at some point in time, maybe it was true. I think it's been a long time since, yeah. you know, that. Why? For me, if you build it, you gain the right to talk about it. Yeah. You know, consumers have choices. We have a lot of competition. In Brazil, for me, Brazil is the most competitive market uh, in the world, both in e-commerce and fintech. And it's great. You know, it makes us better and it's great for consumers. And the same in Mexico. So I think you need to do both things. Having said that, super important. Some of the mistakes that we... I don't think that marketing can compensate product shortcomings or failures. I think that we can sort of accelerate uh, the growth of a good product. It doesn't need to be perfect. But every time that someone comes and tells you, like, I need you to do, do more push notifications or more discounts... And when we get to the, you know, the detail is like, because the product is not converting well enough. No, you know what? Let's go and do the homework. Let's fix the product so that it's a decent product. And then let's spend money. Because it, yeah. really, it doesn't make any so, sense. I mean, there's nothing like, you know, having a, an amazing advert for an airline. And then you go online and you try and book and, you, and your booking doesn't work. Or, the, or your loyalty points haven't been added. Or, you know, they, they, they lose your bags. You know, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Have to get that right. But by the same token, it's super gratifying as a marketeer to be able to talk about a product experience that you know that it's it's really good. Yeah. And what we saw and during the pandemic we proved is like the entire shopping experience, you know, from searching and paying and delivering, you know, same day delivery, next day delivery, almost like magical. It's much easier you know, for a market. So pandemic, <laughs> it's much pandemic easier. seemed to accelerate your business. Well, was it? I know, obviously, it was, a, it was a tragic event, and, and no one would want to go through that. But did did that experience? Has it helped you as a business get get better at what you do? Having that sort of I, I big think I think so because it tested at tested us to the limits. And look, yeah, it was a a, a a very unfortunate event, and I wish you know it hadn't happened. But you know, there were lots of players in online that couldn't sort of make the most out of the situation. And I think that we were ready for the challenge because we started making the investments in early 2018 in logistics. Everything is related. You know, when you look backwards, you can join the dots. Yeah. Those decisions in early 2018 allowed us to really offer a unique and incredible experience during the pandemic. And for consumers, that was like eye-opening. These guys are delivering in the worst of situations. And, uh, and we proved to ourselves, we really tested, you know, that logistics team. And they did an incredible job. And they started opening uh, delivery centers every week without any people. Before the pandemic, we would send teams, you know, into Mexico, Brazil to open every single one of these. We were opening one a week in each country, all, you know, without, you know, with no presence. So yeah. I think that 
uh, you know, these things, you have to be prepared, you know. Uh, and, and, and it, you know, it found us in a place where we were prepared yeah. for the challenge. No, you're right. It's a bit like the adoption of like Zoom or Teams or whatever, or Google Meet. You know, the, the people that invented Zoom had obviously done all the hard jobs before the pandemic. Now you might say they're lucky, but, you know, they happened to have the technology ready and they proved it and then, you know, pandemic And because experiences like, were really good, I think that that's one of the reasons yeah, why yeah. people stuck with us. It works. Yeah, 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 exactly. It works. Yeah, and it yeah, works yeah. really well. Yeah. So we talked about uh, binning 360-degree integrated campaigns early, didn't we? Let's let's get on to the topic du jour. Um, you, in fact, you can't walk down the croisette without bumping into somebody talking about AI, right? It seems to be the topic. So where do you stand on AI? AI. Is this another metaverse, NFT, or it, is it here to stay? Look, I, I think it's a little bit and a little, little bit. AI, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a little bit tired of the of the buzzwords, and uh, I, now it's uh, AI, and it was metaverse, and it was NFTs, and it was voice search. And look, in the end, I think that all these innovations are necessary for us to find those few innovations that really make the difference, okay? So for me, it's part of the process, but... I, the same way that I discard part of the current argument, I've discarded you now metaverse. And it's interesting. I'm bullish on the metaverse five or ten years from now. I'm not bullish, yes. you know. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm gonna say it. Anyone you know who went and hired a yeah. chief metaverse officer, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Nobody's gonna beat you there, you know. Uh, I, I think you're gonna have the time, you know. Eventually, yeah, yeah, yeah. if the metaverse the metaverse explodes, okay, you're gonna have the time to catch up, yeah. you know. <laughs> anyway, on AI, this. AI has been around for a long time. Mercado Libre has been doing AI since 2013. Our, all our marketing, you know, our performance marketing, you know, our integration with Google, we made that TikTok is based on, on AI, not, not, not on people. All our fraud prevention for years has been there. All the logistics is run, and you can't imagine, you know, how complex that, are. that is. All our, our payments infrastructure, all our Mercado ads, all the bidding and all the, so, it's been around for for us. We're talking about you know the AI revolution. For us, the AI revolution has been around for ten years. It shows that it's mostly marketing, actually, doesn't it? But rather than product, because I met uh, Daniel Braga, who set up Defined AI, and uh, I, I said, "Oh, it must be great! Like literally, you're the right person, the right time. You just launched your business." Anyway, I said, "So, how long does it take you to get here?" And she said, 20 years." She's been working on AI for twenty years. Exactly. So now let's, I think that AI has been around for a long time and people confuse AI with ChatGPT. Yes. I think yes. that ChatGPT is a super interesting, super interesting technology. Early phases, we still don't know what we don't know. So I, I, I wouldn't try to rush and try to figure it out. Again, some of the use cases make sense. Others don't. I, I'm still trying to figure out from an, look, from a productivity and from a customer consumer experience point of view, we found really good use cases that we're going to develop. From a marketing point of view, I'm still trying to figure out how it's going to impact search. But it's, depending on search on, on shopping, I think it's going to be less impacted than if it's a, I don't know, a, a more of a general search, like I want to travel to Naples and bring me the whole itinerary. So depending on the category, it might affect more or less. Let me, I love you know, being controversial. The thing that I'm not entirely sure is on search, when they tell me that ChatGPT is going to be the thing that brings Bing back to life. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm That's a big ask, isn't I'm it? Not, I'm not sure. One. I think that Microsoft is developing some incredible yeah. products. They are yeah. brilliant. But that one, I think that they are pushing that's, the marketing. <laughs> what is Google's share? What, 98%? Yeah, something I mean, that's, like that. That's a, that's a big uh, mountain It's, it's a tough one. Yeah. And again, maybe I'm, and I'm happy to be proven uh, totally wrong mm. and 
No yeah. big deal. I've been wrong many times yeah. in my life. But that one, yeah. Uh, for the searches that you really monetize, let, let me put it that way, that you know the platforms really monetize, I'm not that sure that you know there's a silver bullet for Bing. Yeah. But having said that, look, if Bing can you know go from two percent to five percent market share, it's a very nice business for them. But but again, that's my reaction in general. There's a little bit of overhype and everyone you know gets out running and look. If, if you haven't done the basics on, on, on being a data-driven company with the basics, even with Excels, what the hell are you doing talking about your know, AI? I think I'd, I go back to this concept. There are no shortcuts in marketing or in business. So you want to talk about AI, make sure that you have a data-driven organization, even with the most elemental of tools. And between Excel and AI, there are lots of interesting things in between. And I think that you really have to go through the different phases. You can go faster than probably we did, but you have to go through the phases because the learnings of the previous phase allow you, you know, to make the most of you know, the next technology. Yeah, it's not going to just jump you from A to Z, is it? Just no. all of a sudden without yeah. having all the other bits the, in between. This whole yeah. thing about looking for silver bullets yeah. or for shortcuts, I, you know, I can give you the example with AI, I can give you the example with something totally different, brand purpose. I really believe in brand purpose, okay? I really believe that as brands, you know, and as big brands, we operate in, in, in societies and, and, and we have an impact in communities and, and, and we have to be uh, a shining light. Yeah. But you have to do the basics first. Yeah. You know, when I see people looking for a shortcut because I don't know what's my brand position, you know, well, you know yeah. I'm going to try to take a shortcut. You know, it's not going to work. Exactly. But Mercado Libre, look, I, I first try to do the, the basics of be a, <laughs> a decent retailer. Solve. I'm not solving your life. I'm solving this very specific pain point of your life. Of your life, okay? Very transactional driven. Then I'm gonna try to sell you, you know, the unique selling proposition. Now, what differentiates in a very functional way my platform from the platform next door? Perfect. I'm still earning your trust with very small things. Yeah. And maybe if you don't do those things, you earn the right to talk about stuff that maybe has nothing to do with selling more boxes. Yeah. And have to do with issues that are important for the society, but I think that you know trying to jump from, you know, you know, consumers don't know about me to suddenly I'm going to be talking about purpose, it's a disservice to the brand and, and to the very important you know concept of of having a brand pur purpose and uh, and brand purpose. I was talking the the other day with uh, Antonio Lucio, you know, who is a, a great friend and, and mentor, and we were talking the difference between you know brand purpose and CSG. Okay. Yeah, yes. Or ESG, yes. you know, yeah. it's not the same. They're totally. complementary. That's what everyone conflates, yeah. isn't it? They're complementary, yeah. and it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Good. So we've uh, been to three sixty degree integrated campaigns. AI, use it if if you've done the hard work, right? Uh, and trial it and, and yeah. be curious. You know, I do my homework, and we as a team we do the homework on every single technology and yeah. everything that our competitors do. Yeah, but then I have to apply my criteria, our criteria, to what's yeah. relevant. How is it relevant yeah. for my company? And if it's relevant now or in six or 12 months? Yeah. Going back to the concept of trade-offs. Yeah. You're always yeah, making yeah. trade-offs. Yeah. And you go, you go back to what is it you're trying to do? What are you trying to solve? And how do you how do, you do the work? Brilliant. Yeah. Sean, thank you very much. It's been a brilliant conversation. It's been lovely having you on the show. Thank, thank you for the invite. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Uncensored CMO. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed doing the interview. If you'd like to never miss an episode again, please do subscribe. Uh, you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to watch on YouTube, go and hit the subscribe button there too. You can follow me at John Evans over at Twitter or on LinkedIn where I am under John Evans. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.